Welcome to this episode of the Manager Track Podcast. In this episode today, I have a special guest on that I'm excited to share with you. His name is Richard Trix. He is the founder and CEO of Arete Executives, one of Australia's leading executive recruitment firms. He also wrote two books. One is called Uncover the Hidden Chart Market, How to Find and Win Your Next Senior Executive Role. And the second one that's coming out in April, May of 2024 is called Winning the War of Talent, How to Attract and Retain Top Performers. So this is something, especially as we climb through the leadership ladder, both of these topics, A, how do I find my next executive role internally or externally, as well as how do I retain my high performers will become increasingly important. Now, in this conversation with him, I asked him not just about interviewing strategies, which by the way, he laid out his entire process on how to uncover the hidden job market step by step. So you don't want to miss that. But we also talk about how to position yourself and brand yourself on one hand to be considered for that next level role, but also to attract talent that is in the market and considering joining your team. The way that you speak about yourself, how you present your accomplishments and achievements, and the way that other people perceive you in the digital world is really important. And we go into details on how to do this well in this podcast episode. It was a real treat to have this conversation with Richard, and I think you'll find this episode a real treat for you to listen to. There's a reason why over the last 15 years, Richard and his team have successfully recruited 1,500 executives and board directors and why he's coached over 2,500 people through their job search. When you support this many people, you start to notice patterns and themes and Richard has definitely developed that expertise and he's going all out and sharing this on the podcast today. So without further ado, let's get started and welcome Richard to the Manager Track podcast. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on the Manager Track podcast. I'm very glad that you're here and sharing your expertise with us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here talking to you too, Ramona. And as we were saying before we started, I'm way over the other side of the world in Brisbane, Australia. So it's, it's fun to talk to people across the, the planet and see what's happening. Right, right. I feel the same way. You're in the recruiting space, especially helping companies find executives and senior leaders, or also supporting senior leaders and executives and finding new roles. Well, that's How correct. I, so my business, we are a retained headhunter. So mm -hmm. our client is the employer. Mm -hmm. But of course, because of the work that I've done, and I've been doing this work for 20 years, a lot of people will contact me and they'll say something like, oh, hi, Richard, I've been talking to my friend Ramona and I'm looking for a new job. And she suggested that I talk to you and get some advice about my job search. So I don't actually put myself out there as a formal career coach, but because of what I do, I end up coaching a lot of people either on how to secure the next executive role or board roles. Right. And I actually, I find that so interesting because oftentimes I look to the people who are in it and seeing, you know, massive numbers of people go through a certain process and whether they want it or not, they are the ones who can see and easily identify this is the things to do and these are the things not to do. Here are the trends that we're seeing, here are the needs that I'm picking up on and, and some of the pitfalls as well. That is what I find really interesting. So I'm glad that you're here. 
with us today. Now, before, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about all of that and get the audience here to the, the, the gold nuggets. If you had one thing that you wished, now speaking to the leaders, that you wish leaders who are looking to move into senior leadership or executive roles, there's something that you wish they would know, what would that be? Well, firstly, if they were applying for a role outside of their organization, rather than getting promoted internally, mm -hmm. is to understand that at least 80% of the best jobs never get to a recruiter. They never get advertised. They're never in the open job market. They are filled in what's called the hidden job market. What is a hidden job market? That's where employers find somebody who can solve their problems and take away they, their pain and they hire them even if there isn't a current vacancy. So the most important thing I say to senior leaders or people wanting to step into these roles is that if you limit your job search to just roles that are advertised, you are significantly limiting yourself because you're only seeing a very small percentage of the actual jobs. And because there's a lot of competition for these roles and because recruiters are lazy and stupid, you know, we just want to put the squarest peg in the squarest hole, get paid and move on. So if there's 200 applicants and of those is 10 people who were exactly on brief and you're not on brief, it's very, very hard to get considered. So if you want to get access to these senior opportunities, what you need to do is to get in front of the employer before they know that they need you. And then by demonstrating to them through your key achievements and transferable skills that you can solve their problems and take away their pain, they will hire you. Now, I think when I say that and people listen to it, they go, oh, well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, 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 but then they just go back to same old pattern of, I've got to pray that the job gets advertised. I've got to pray that I get an interview. I've got to pray that I get shortlisted. When really, if you were to get in front of the process, your, your ability to secure a fantastic job more quickly, probably for more money with way less competition is so much higher. That's what you have to do. Now, it makes sense, but I get why people still go back to the traditional path of job searching because it's easier said than done. Like, what does it actually look like to get myself in front of that process. Can you share an example of someone that's done that or, or of course. to make that really practical? Of course. And, and let me firstly say, I'm not saying don't apply for jobs and mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't talk to recruiters. I'm saying don't only do that, right? right? Because it's not one instead of the other. Okay, so I wrote a book in 2015. It's called Uncover the Hidden Job Market. A new edition of that book came out late last year. If anybody listening to the show would like a free copy of the book, I'll tell you later in, later on how you can get a free copy. But basically, this is what my book is about. Okay, mm -hmm. so what the candidate does. Firstly, they need to think, who are my employers of choice? Who are the companies I'd like to work for? Within those companies, who is the key decision maker that would make a decision about whether I would be hired and how do I get in front of them? So I don't know, let's say one of their employers of choice is IBM and they're a senior finance executive. So they go to IBM's website and they look at who is in the organizational chart. In Australia, we'd call them the chief financial officer. In the US, they might call them the vice president of finance or, you know, 
whatever it might be. Okay, so that's the person that would be making a hiring decision. You Firstly, you don't reach out to HR, not because HR, there's anything wrong with HR, but HR have got a tactical orientation. What current vacancies do we have that we need to fill? Does this person suit one of those vacancies? No, they don't. Thanks, but no thanks. Right. You know, put put your details on our online job registration website and we'll get back to you if we ever need you, right? The, the line manager has a strategic orientation. They are thinking, what human capital do I need? Who's performing poorly that needs to be replaced? Who's retiring? What special projects do we have? You know, what are the sort of things that I need that I don't have now? And if I could have somebody that did that, that would be awesome, right? Okay, so the two pieces of technology that make this work so well. So firstly, LinkedIn, right? So I've looked at IBM's website. I've seen the CFO, the head of finance is Mary Smith, and I find her profile on LinkedIn. I send her a connection request. I also send her an email. And in that, I say, Mary, I'm hoping you can help me, please. Okay, firstly, you don't reach out to Mary and say, hey, Mary, have you got a job? Because mm -hmm. Mary is most likely to say either, yes, I do, or no, I don't, or she's going to push you to HR and we don't want to talk to HR at this stage. So mm -hmm. Mary, I, I hope you can help me, please. I'm considering my next career move and I'd really appreciate it if I could get your advice about the market and where the right opportunities might be for me. Can we have a 15 minute Zoom or Teams conversation? Number one, people love to help people. So you're mm -hmm. saying, Mary, can you help me? And she says, oh, I'm happy to help. And of course, she looks at your LinkedIn profile and she can see that you're relevant. She can see that you've got great key achievements and transferable skills illustrated in your LinkedIn profile. And so she says, I'd love to talk to Ramona because even if I don't have a vacancy right now, part of the, my role is to build a bench of talent. Plus mm -hmm. Ramona's asked me for help and I want to help Ramona. So mm -hmm. the other thing is, you're giving her an ego stroke. I look, I'd really appreciate it if I could get your advice, right? Mm -hmm. And people like people like that. Mm -hmm. The other great technological change is the fact that certainly post-COVID and during COVID, people became much more comfortable having a Zoom or a Teams conversation. So right. in the past, you might have said, Hey, listen, Mary, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And she'd think to herself, Oh, well, by the time I get to the coffee shop and have a coffee and you know, it's get back to the office. It's probably two hours. I really don't have two hours. Plus, of mm -hmm. course, if you're not in the same town, right, it's impossible to have a coffee anyway. So now instead you can say, can you give me 50 minutes of your time on Zoom or Teams? People are much more happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Once you get in front of Mary, and I'm putting in a lot of content into answering this question, so I'm happy to un unpick it if you want to, but, you know, you, you get in front of Mary and then when you've built some rapport, you say, Mary, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? What's the pebble in your shoe? And she says, oh, da -da 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 -da. and you, you unpeel, you ask further questions to understand where is Mary in pain? Mm -hmm. And then you say to Mary, Mary, if I could help you to solve that problem, would that be valuable? Oh, Ramona, if you could help me to solve that problem, that would be amazing. And then you say, let me tell you when I've done it before. Mm-hmm. 
people want to hire people who've done it before, they've done it well, and they're motivated to do it again. And mm-hmm. people want to do work that they're good at. Now, of course, if it was me and Mary said, oh, look, we need to introduce a new ERP system and I have no experience in ERP, it would be ridiculous for me to say, well, let me tell you when I've done it before because I've never done it before. Right. Right. But if you're a senior finance professional and you're talking to the head of finance, they are probably going to talk about stuff that you've at least had some experience in doing. Mm-hmm. And it may not be because I know that, you know, you're all about, well, how do you step up, right? Mm-hmm. It may be that you haven't done exactly what they want you to do, need done, mm-hmm. but you can give enough demonstration of your key achievements and transferable skills that Mary says, oh. Ramona, you are amazing timing. Mm -hmm. Would you like to come and work for me? Mm -hmm. Now I've coached thousands of people through this process and the ability to secure excellent jobs, if they actually follow the process and do it properly, the the results are incredible. Mm -hmm. The thing is going back to the original, you said, oh, look, you know, um, I can understand why People don't do it and they go back to the traditional ways. There's nothing hard about this. It's just that people don't do it because they either think, one, I'm too egotistical. Why should I reach out to the employer? They should be reaching out to me. Or Mm -hmm. two, they're too lazy because it does involve time. Or three, they're too scared of rejection. Right. Right. But the thing about it, Ramona, is that in this war for talent, Companies are desperate to hire great people. And if you're an awesome person, they want to hire you, but they can't hire you if they don't know who you are. So you need to tell them who you are, Mm -hmm. right? But you don't limit yourself to, well, it's IBM or nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is a numbers game. You have to, you have to shake it. What I call, you got to shake hands and kiss babies, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, don't go for the top three. Go for the for the your whole list of companies, right? Yeah. I, I what I say to people is that if you just allocated an hour of your time a day, you don't even need an hour, but an hour, and in that hour, you're going to identify three employers of choice, identify mm-hmm. the three key decision makers, send mm-hmm. three LinkedIn connections, and send three emails asking for a meeting. So that's three a day, fifteen a week. That will result in two to three meetings a week. If you do that consistently for 12 weeks, I pretty much guarantee you will have a new job. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah. It's, thank you for breaking this down. I think from the initial where we started off with do it this way to now how you broke down exactly how to do this. And with your final statement here, it becomes so obvious. Yeah, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, because the thing about it is recruiters are not their client is the employer. Okay. They're, they're not incentivized to try and put a round peg into a square hole. Right. Okay. So if you're applying for jobs, unless you are same job, same industry, it's Mm -hmm. very hard to get a recruiter to pay you any attention and Mm -hmm. internal recruitment or talent acquisition are even worse at it. Right. So you can't rely on them to solve your career for you. Mm-hmm. It, it, you have to take responsibility. 
if I'm going to achieve the, my career goals and my aspirations, I need to get in front of the people who are going to create those opportunities for me. It is my responsibility to do that. Thank you for elaborating on this. This is great. Now, speaking of, if we like double click on this, speaking of presenting ourselves to these companies, one of the things that I wanted to um, check in with you on is when we're elevating through our career, oftentimes what I find coaching leaders who are at that stage is they look back and say, I am great at X, Y, and C, because these are the achievements that they've had so far. And so they present themselves as, here are all my accomplishments. But what they're not doing is presenting the transferable skills to open up new opportunities that may not be the square peg into the square hole, but may actually be what they are now, but broadening the opportunities uh, that they are looking at. Mm even if they are round holes, because now they're messaging themselves and branding themselves in a way where that becomes interesting. So I'll sort of approach it from two different angles. So firstly, if, you know, in my book, I talk about when people are looking for a new job, they're generally looking at one of four quadrants, same job, same industry. I'm a finance executive in the mining industry. I want another finance role in the mining industry, mm -hmm. same job, different industry. I love being in finance, but I'm, I'm, I can transfer outside of mining into a different industry, different job, same industry. I love working in the mining industry, but I want to change out of finance. Maybe I want to move into a board role or an operations role, whatever it might be. And of course, the final one, different job, different industry. I want to go and do something completely different. So the thing to understand is that if you are straying outside of same job, same industry, there will always be better qualified candidates than you. Because those mm -hmm. candidates are, for them, it is same job, same industry. For you, it's not, right? So unless you are able to clearly articulate your key achievements and transferable skills, it's going to be very hard for you to make that transition, okay? Mm -hmm. And of course, sometimes if you want to transition out of your your silo, your same job, same industry. So, you know, I, I used to work a lot in the property development industry and I would get lawyers come to me and say, oh, Richard, you know, I love property. I'd like to move into a property role in a property company. And I'd say, well, of course you don't have property qualifications. You might've done it, but were you to move across, you might have to step back in your career. Are you prepared to sacrifice salary? in order to make that move. How much do you make as a lawyer? They go, well, I'm a hundred, let's say $200,000. Well, if, are you happy to drop down to a hundred thousand dollars to go into a property role? Oh no, Richard, I'm not happy to do that at all. Well, then I think you need to have a bit of a reality check, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if you are motivated and you are aspiring to either move up in your career or change industries or whatever, you need to commit to being able to articulate why you are a very valuable candidate in that new role or else employers won't believe you. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the other side of the coin or somewhat differently, but when I talk about, you know, you're getting in front of the, the uh, employer and saying, you know, where are you in pain? Let me solve your pain points. The a metaphor that I use is if I go to a doctor and the doctor says to me, oh, Richard, 
you've come to the best knee surgeon in town. I've fixed the knees of the top sports people and I do knee reconstructions. I've been doing them for 20 years. Let me tell you, you've come to the right guy. I'm going to fix your knee. And I say, yeah, but doctor, I don't have a sore knee. I've got a sore elbow, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. surgeons don't do that. They say, Richard, where are you in pain? Oh, my elbow. Describe the pain to me. Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it throbbing? Is it localized? Is it spread out? What's the pain out of 10? Let's do an X-ray. Let's do some kind of scan. Okay, now I've done my diagnosis. This is mm -hmm. what I think is wrong with your elbow. This is what I think is the right way to fix it. And if you want me to, let me tell you how I can fix it for you, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you go into an employer, and I'm, I'm obviously it's, I'm being dumbing this, not dumbing down, but making this a little bit more straightforward than it actually is. If you go into the employer and say, let me tell you what's wrong with your business and how I'm going to fix it, or let me tell you why I'm awesome, mm -hmm. they might go, Ramona, you are awesome. But we don't need that kind of awesome right now. Right. So, so instead, you're saying to the employer, what's going on for you? What's keeping mm -hmm. you awake at night? Oh, you know, we need to introduce this new ERP system. Really, what's wrong with the old one? How is that negatively impacting your business? What have you done so far? What are you finding as some of the, the key reasons why you're not able to achieve this outcome? You know, what have you tried? Okay. Okay, I, I hear you. I understand. Now, if I could solve that problem for you, would that be valuable? Oh, Ramona, if you could solve that problem, that would be awesome. Let me tell you when I've done it before, right? So I'm not going in. And so again, if you're talking about your leaders, they want to step up or step out or whatever. If you can get in front of the, your ideal hirer mm -hmm. and you can say, basically, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And then you say, wow, that's excellent because I'm really, I'm really good at doing that. Let me tell you when I've done it before. They go, mm -hmm. oh my God, why do they want to go through a hugely protracted, expensive recruitment process where they can just grab Ramona and get on with business? Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that is how to do it. That's how to position yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know, from a marketing point of view, it's not build it and they will come, right? It's what do they need and let me take it to them. Yeah. And what I'm picking up from you too there with the analogy of the doctor, which I love with the elbows and the knees, is like you don't go in and you say, I've done a thousand knee surgeries and hence I can do your elbow. And I think that's like, that's a big shift in early on in the career that may work well because people are looking to just use what you've already done and do more of that. But as you move up into more senior roles, it becomes way broader and more strategic. You have bigger scope of influence. And so you may not have done exactly what they need, but you can look at maybe you led a change management initiative. Exactly. And instead of focusing on the tangible outcome, you talk about how you led a change management initiative or it, completed it, it, a project and so forth. Mm -hmm. it, it, exactly. You know, earlier in your career, it's very tactical. It's very have you set up an ERP system, et cetera, et cetera, in a more senior leadership role. So for example, we're recruiting a CEO at the moment and for one of my clients, and I sat in on an interview between the client and a candidate yesterday, actually. And the client said, look, one of the challenges we have is that we have a culture of sales where they say, 
operations are letting us down because operations are undelivering and operations are saying sales are letting us down because sales are over-promising, mm -hmm. which happens all the time in business, okay. right? All the time. Okay. So that is our issue in our business. We know we're not achieving our full potential because we, our sales team and our operations team at lawyer heads rather than working synergistically. Now that CEO talking about, okay, well, I faced that situation previously. This is how I managed it. These were some of the key outcomes. These were some of the lessons that I learned along the way. In hindsight, this is what I perhaps would have done differently. Who cares if that came from a steel manufacturing company or a pharmaceutical manufacturing company, or perhaps not even from manufacturing at all, because that problem is not unique to manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're absolutely right. As you get to that higher level, it is much more around strategy and uh, leadership and crisis management and growth and shareholder value and all of those kind of things, rather than have you put in a new ERP system. Yeah. And that I find takes some intentionality and like some good preparation and also take some confidence yep. in people to take what they've done in the past and almost extract more value from it, like broaden the value that yep. they can then use to present what they could do for another company. That's right. Another. And, and, and I think a lot of people from reading the material prior to doing the podcast, you know, they don't value themselves highly enough, but, but yeah. if you, if you just think back through your CV, and you go, okay, when I was in that role, what am I most proud of? What, what did I achieve that I would hang my hat on and say, this is why I'm great at my job? Oh, you know, I, I reduced absenteeism by X or I improved our safety record by Y, whatever it is. Okay, mm -hmm. so let me unpack that, you know, and a, a great sort of a framework is to do what we call star stories, S-T-A-R. What was the situation? What was the task? What actions did you take? And what were the results? Mm -hmm. And you create these star stories, you know, around the things that you're most proud of and you rehearse them. You mm -hmm. might tell them to your husband or your wife, you practice so that when you're in that situation, they say, I mean, okay, in your most previous role, this is the way we interview, what, what did you achieve that you're really proud of? well, I did this and this is, was the situation. These were the results and this was how I was rewarded. And da, 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 da. Okay. A lot of people who are job seekers, and I've seen this firsthand in the last week by sitting in on CEOs being interviewed for a job, they think, well, because I'm a good at my job, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interview well. Okay. But it is a mm -hmm. skill. Mm -hmm. You need to, if, if, if this is a difference between you getting the promotion, getting the pay rise, living the life you would love to lead, achieving your highest potential, don't you think it's worthwhile investing in how to be an excellent candidate? Mm -hmm. But most people don't. And typically, the more senior they are, the worse they are. Mm -hmm. that, because they go, well, I should just be judged on my own achievements. Well, of course, but right. it's more than that. It's more that, and there are other candidates who do rehearse, right? Uh, completely. All right. 
I see this too whenever I do trainings on executive presence and we look at how do you present, you know, something, a request that you make or an initiative to senior leadership and you want to con convince them uh, to say yes to whatever you're proposing. One of the things that a lot of people see they or, or notice is other leaders do this all the time where they give presentations to the team or to the whole company and it seems so effortless. Mm. We may have been in interviews where we see candidates and they just effortlessly talk and it seems so natural and they're just talented and they're just good. And I am good. So I talk, they think that they're going to talk or uh, present themselves the same way. But like you say, very few people can wing it and do well. And the vast majority of people practice, but we don't see it. Well, that's right. At home. It's behind that's closed doors. Yeah. We don't know about it. Right. It's, it, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours right, to become, have mastery. And, the, and, you know, what I, the way I frame it is that if you want to flow, or as you say, wing it, if you want to be in flow, you have to have structure. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the structure there, the flow is not going to work. So the mm -hmm. first thing is to set up the structure. Okay, so I play guitar. I used to be a semi-professional guitarist when I finished high school. Now I, I'm just a hobbyist. Okay, you go and look at Jimi Hendrix. Or an amazing guitarist, Joe, you know, whoever. They, it looks effortless. And yes, they have some natural talents which give them an advantage. But at the same time, they are able to do that because of the thousands of hours of playing and thousands of hours of practicing. You know, they didn't just pick up a guitar and just start playing and this incredible music came out. And so I think it's very easy for people to look at, say, a good public speaker I just went and did a stand-up comedy course because I wanted to improve my right. speaking, right? Okay. So you look at a stand-up comedian and you go, oh, God, that, that person just makes it look it's so effortless. Exactly. But the, it, it looks effortless because of the massive amount of experience and time that they put in to making it look effortless. Mm -hmm. And they all sort of in a structure too, like even improv, right, have structure to it. Uh, absolutely. That they build, build upon, yeah. yeah I know so that. You know, I often get asked by people, you know, somebody's in a role and they want to be promoted. You know, what do they do in order to get promoted? Right. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a lazy person. I like to think about, well, how do I do the things in the most simplest way? So let's assume that I work for you, Ramona, and I want to get a promotion. So what should I do? Ramona, I would like to get a promotion. If in 12 months time, we sat down and you did my performance review and you said, Richard, you've done such a fantastic job. I couldn't be more delighted. I'm definitely going to give you a promotion. Ramona, what have I done for you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Richard, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to do this and I'd like you to do that. And I'd like you to do the other thing. And we would agree. Mm -hmm. And then I would do it. Mm -hmm. And then you would go. Good job, Richard. Here's the promotion. Yeah, love the question. But people don't have that conversation. Right. They go, oh, I've been doing a good job. I kind of feel entitled to get a promotion. But have you done a great job? Mm -hmm. Was it the tasks that were, you know, required for you to be promoted? Mm -hmm. Does your boss even know that you want a promotion? Mm -hmm. There's kind of this blind faith mm -hmm. as a cat. Whereas it's, it's a negotiation isn't it? Whether it's a marriage or a promotion or getting a new job or getting your mm -hmm. kids to behave properly, you know, mm -hmm. it's clearly articulating your expectations. 
agreeing that they are fair and reasonable, mm-hmm. and then doing it. And especially in larger organizations, actually not even larger, but more than just a, a you know a ten employee startup. When it comes to the promotion cycles at higher levels, in particular, there's a whole committee who has to agree and approve a promotion. And for a manager who may hear about your promotion request two months prior to the promotion cycle, that's often too late, right? If you give them that year of a heads up, then you keep checking in. How are we doing? Are we on track? Anything changing? What do I need to adapt in order for that promotion to be a no-brainer or... or Granted, and, and quick side note here, sometimes there's external circumstances, COVID layoffs, revenue drops and all that we can't influence. But the part that is within our control, to have those conversations as soon as possible so they know they need to position you well and put you in front of the right people and market you and advocate on your behalf months in advance before the promotion conversations even take place. Absolutely. and. Again, not just in relation to promotions, but let's say I say, look, I'd like to do an MBA and I'd like you to pay for my MBA. What do Mm -hmm. I need to achieve in order for you to pay for my MBA? Mm -hmm. Rather than just have this sense of entitlement, oh, look, I want to do it now. You need to give me the money. Well, it's got to be a fair exchange of value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course things happen externally. You know, you might say to me, look, Richard, in a year's time, I will definitely give this promotion. But halfway through the year, COVID comes along and revenues are halved or you you lose a key client or whatever. I mean, it's very reasonable if you say, look, unfortunately, Richard, you know, what we expected just hasn't come to fruition. And if I'm an intelligent and, you know, loyal employee, I will understand that. You know, this is one of the things that, that I don't know so much in the US, but they talk about the great resignation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, we had COVID then afterwards there was this great resignation. Well, there, there wasn't a great resignation. Average professional tenure in 2000 was three to three and a half years. Average professional tenure in 2023 was three to three and a half years. Nothing has changed. The only thing that changed was during COVID, there were a lot of people who thought, I want a new job, but it's too risky. Mm-hmm. You know, what if I get a new job and then I get sick? Or what if I get a new job and then they're negatively impacted by COVID? So even though I want a new job, I'm going to stay here. It's a safe harbor in a storm. And once COVID is gone, then I'll move. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's just, we had a bottleneck and then the bottleneck was released. And all of those people that would have moved through that period moved. And it, but it's just situation as normal. So what does a great resignation really mean? It means some employers are good at retaining their people and other employers aren't. So it's an excuse for poor retention. There are many companies that I know who not only retained, but grew their workforces during and post COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's a lot of people who go, Oh my God, it's a great resignation. No, no, no. You're a crap employer. <laughs> it's right. It's a, it's the same thing with winning the war for talent, right? Yeah. I, internal recruiters, deliver a crappy shortlist and the boss goes, oh God, this shortlist isn't all that great. And the internal recruiter goes, oh, sorry, boss. It's that there's a war for talent. There's yeah. no war for talent. There's no war for talent. There's just companies that are good at recruiting talent and there are other companies that are crap at it, right? 
so a lot of these cliches or you know these the flavor of the month it's absolute rubbish if you and it want doesn't help. right yeah it doesn't help because suddenly people go oh it's not my fault right you know I, there's nothing for me to learn here right so it equally to the point of if you want to get a great job you need to learn how to get a great job and you need to do those things if you want to retain recruit attract retain excellent people you've got to learn how to do it and there's mm -hmm. a lot of people in business who go, I'm pretty good at business, right? So, and I've hired plenty of people in the past. Oh, I don't, well, I know, I know how to do it. And then you say, well, how come you've got 40 mission critical vacancies that you can't fill? Oh, look, there's a wolf of talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, wait, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take action. I'm going to stick it out. A whole bunch of reasons why to delay or why not to change things up in order to actually make it better. Yeah. I mean, it's even uh, in my book, my new book, Winning the War for Talent, you know, I take it right from the beginning. It's like, what are you doing to establish your brand as an employer of choice? Yeah. You have these amazing websites that talk all about how good you are and the, the, your goods and services, and they're all aimed at your client, you know, the, the purchaser of your goods and services. But where is it articulating that you're a great employer? It's not. Right. If you say, oh, people are our greatest asset, but you're not doing anything to present yourself and, and build your brand as an employer of choice, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's, let's speak to, about that a little bit more. For the individual leader who is managing a team and who is looking to have a bench of high performers or build up a bench, who is looking to higher and retain those high performers, what can they do that's within their scope of control? Not what the employer in itself may do with online presence, but really for themselves. What do you suggest they do? Okay, well, let's, let's talk general and then let's get a little bit more specific. So in general, people want to work for people that they believe will be a great boss, will mentor them and help to develop them to their highest potential. So what are you doing to build your brand as a great leader? So people will want to come and work for you. Well, what's, there's a, a marketing term, it's called zero moment of truth, right? Every single person that's thinking about working for you, before they do anything, they're going to look at your LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're going to look at the company website and so on, but they're going to look at your LinkedIn profile. And I would say, unless somebody's looking for a new job, 95% of people's LinkedIn profiles are pretty average. They don't have much detail. They, they're just literally a sort of summary of somebody's career. They don't articulate your key achievements, your transferable skills, your, your leadership, et cetera, et cetera. So make your LinkedIn profile sexy. Mm -hmm. Make people who look at it go, wow, I really want to work for Ramona. Look at the... You know, if you're a guest on podcasts, put it on there. If you're writing articles or blog posts or speaking or whatever, a fantastic thing that people completely overlook is that people can write testimonials on your LinkedIn profile. They're called recommendations, right? How many recommendations do you have from people who work for you saying what a great boss you are? Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, I would say probably less than 
0.1% of people have that, right? Oh, true. true. And actually, that brings me another thought. The When I see leaders ce celebrate their team or their team's achievements, and they really do it in a way where they uplift other people and present other people, that is such an attractive skill. Of course. And on LinkedIn so well with At anything. Not only on LinkedIn, but on your web company webpage. You know, mm -hmm. if you're loud and proud about, you know, employing diversity, then have some stories about some of the people in your team. You know, if one of your teams has, you know, collected money for charity and had a fantastic result, you know, shout about it. These are, get, get people excited. Wow. I, wow. Look at what's happening in Ramona's business. God, she looks awesome. And wow, she's doing all these things and her team are having so much fun and they're kicking goals and da, da, da. I want to work for Ramona, right? Then, then if we come down to the individual vacancy level. Okay. So number one, make sure you understand what you want to hire somebody for. What are those key deliverables that would demonstrate success in the role? The number of times, you know, particularly if I'm talking to say internal recruiters and they've been briefed on the role, I say, okay, well, what does success look like? What does the person need to deliver? I don't know. You know, the hiring manager gave me five minutes, a quick PD. I really don't know. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, how can you expect to hire excellence if you don't know what excellence is and articulate that to the person that you are empowering to recruit this role for you? Okay, the next thing, again, if we're talking about employers, if you're putting job ads up, make sure that there's somebody's name and phone number on the ad for prospective candidates to ring. I would say in Australia, and I'm sure it's the same in the US, at least 95% of roles advertised by the employer, not a third party recruit, there's nobody to ring. Mm -hmm. So a good candidate sees an ad and they go, oh, I might be interested in this role, but I haven't. there's not enough detail in this ad for me to decide if I want to apply for it or not. I'd love to ring up and ask some questions, but there's nobody to ring. So what do mm -hmm. they do? They don't apply. Or alternatively, mm -hmm. people apply for your roles. Eight weeks later, they've had no acknowledgement of application. They've had no, they have no idea, am I being considered? Will I be shortlisted? And of course, there's nobody to ring up and ask because there's nobody's name and phone number on the ad, imagine how damaging that is to your brand as an employer of choice. Mm -hmm. Put somebody's name and phone number on the ad. Now, when I talk to internal recruiters about this, they go, yeah, but Richard, we don't want to talk to candidates. We're too mm -hmm. busy. You know, I'm trying to manage 30 assignments, plus do this, plus do that. I don't have time to talk to candidates. Well, they'd get a new career. Mm. Or say to your boss, if you want me to successfully fill these roles for you, I can't work on 30 roles. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Okay. The other thing, just final part is that the best candidates aren't looking for new jobs. They're in jobs. They're happy. They're doing good work. They have a good relationship with their boss. They're being relatively well paid. You need to headhunt them. Mm -hmm. You need to get your value proposition in front of them so they go, wow, even though I'm pretty happy here, gee, that opportunity looks awesome. I'm going to go for it. You mm -hmm. don't do that through advertising because those people aren't looking at ads. The issue mm -hmm. as an employer is that your team cannot headhunt 
because of course they have to disclose they work for you. So, you know, using IBM as the example, if IBM wants to headhunt somebody from Apple and the internal recruiter says, hey, Bill, this is Sally from Apple, uh, IBM, and we want to hire you. Do you want your competitors to know that you are actively headhunting their staff? I would guess not. Is mm -hmm. it a confidential role? Is there some reason why you wouldn't want your competitors or perhaps even your clients to know? You have to use headhunters. And I think a lot of companies, again, in the Australian context, but I'm sure the same in the US, they've gone, oh, you know what? We've got LinkedIn recruiter licenses now. We've got mm -hmm. a... We've got these internal recruiters. We don't need to use third-party recruiters anymore. Mm -hmm. There are definitely roles where that's true, but there are roles where either it's a unique skill set or whatever, you must headhunt. So, so again, coming back to the question, what do hiring managers need to do to attract and retain the best talent? Well, that's all about attraction. You know, we can talk about retention, but we, you know, we may not have time today. But what do you have to do? Well, you have to understand good talent needs to be wooed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, how do I get a wife? Well, you've got to find a lady that you want to marry and you have to, you know, be kind and generous and listen and go on nice dates and make her feel special and wanted and loved. And then she might say, okay, I'll marry you. Mm -hmm. But employers don't do Well, some employers do do that. Most employers mm -hmm. don't do that. Most employers treat candidates like commodities. Right. right. And then they end up with a less than, a less than fantastic result. Yeah. And they go, oh, why did this happen? Well, it's a wolf of talent. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, I got this or I saw this ad and then I, it seemed interesting. And then I clicked on it and it was like this endless form. It didn't even pull in my LinkedIn profile. I had to like copy paste everything or upload and answer all these questions. And I gave it five minutes and I gave up on it. Like, yeah. and never mind. I don't need it this urgently, right? That's right. I, I, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm fine. And they gave up. Where they might have been great candidates, but they were lost in the process. I, I like to put a post on LinkedIn every now and then, and I call it rant of an executive recruiter. And it's a bit like throwing out a hand grenade and seeing what happens. I think it's fun. And I did one the other day about this exact issue. Internal recruiters, why don't you put your name and phone number on an ad? And mm -hmm. do you realize that you're doing a disservice to your employer and the candidates by not doing that? And mm -hmm. I had probably about 80 people respond, of which 79 of them were executive job seekers saying, Richard, well said, I agree with you completely. I won't apply for a job if there's nobody's name or phone number in it. And mm -hmm. then one lovely lady who's an internal recruiter with an ASX top five company in Australia. So I'm talking about one of the biggest employers, not only in Australia, but in the world. She goes, oh, that's all very well for you to say, Richard, but I've got 30 assignments and I'm busy and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I can't, I don't have the time to talk to candidates. And so I replied back very politely and I said, look, don't shoot the messenger. Look at the 79 people who have responded to this post saying they won't apply for your role if your name and phone number is not on it. Mm -hmm. But will that person start putting their name and phone number on ads? No. No. Yeah. 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 It's a structural, a, stru a structural issue, right? Would you say with the resources to actually make it possible so that they can talk to them? Well, I think I, I, yeah. I, I, I say this and I, I get in trouble for saying it, but you know, 
internal recruitment is where poor recruiters go to die, right? Because if you're an excellent recruiter and you can work as a third-party recruiter, you will earn a lot of money and you will have a lovely life. Why would that person want to go in-house, earn way less money, have to deal with 40 assignments at a time and not deliver good outcomes because they're not very good at their job? So the whole notion of it is counterproductive. You're employing average recruiters. You're overwhelming them with work. They were mm -hmm. average to begin with. Of course, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say all internal recruiters are like that. There are obviously some good ones. There's a lot of external recruiters who are terrible as well. Mm -hmm. But but as you say, systemically, right. it's destined to fail. Right. And that also puts more responsibility responsibility back on the leader to always be hiring, right? To always have that eye open. Always. To brand themselves as a great leader who will help their team grow and reach their career goals. To jump on these 15-minute calls whenever they pop up. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to do what they can to be a good leader so that worth of mouth spreads too. People will ask, how is it working for that person, for that manager? And that is a good interview question to ask other coworkers to figure out, yeah, I'll listen between the lines. What are they saying about this manager? It, Former colleagues in small industries, it, you know, that is something that happens for sure. And if you're not investing in your leadership, then you're only getting so far with that. Well, put, put, it, put it this way. If somebody wanted to come and work for my business, Arate Executive, they can mm -hmm. easily go on LinkedIn and look at people who used to work at Arate Executive and reach out to them and say, hey, listen, Mary, you don't know me, but I see you used to work for Richard. What's he like to work for? Mm -hmm. And if that person says Richard's an absolute idiot and he's a terrible boss and so on, they're probably not going to come and work for me. Mm -hmm. So the ability for a candidate to reference check the employer mm -hmm. now, are employers considering that? Is that even on their radar? Probably not. And mm -hmm. yet it should be, right? Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm. Um, thank you so much for your time. You, and you dropped so many gold nuggets, like I said in the beginning. <laughs> you also gave us a cliffhanger. You said we can learn more about how to get access to your book. We're going to drop that in the show notes too. But tell us more where people can learn more about your firm, the work that you do, including your podcast as well. Okay, great. So Arate Executive, I'm based in Brisbane, Australia. We recruit all over Australia. But in fact, during and post-COVID, we've actually been retained by American companies to headhunt Americans for jobs in America. Now, that's Amazing, you know, that would have oh, never have happened post COVID, right? God bless Teams and Zoom because it's made the world so much more accessible. So, so firstly, if somebody's interested in having a chat to me because they're looking to hire, even if you're in uh, the US, we can help you. You know, I'd love for you to reach out through my website and send me a message and let's have a, a conversation. If somebody is a job seeker, so I have my existing book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market. If you want to buy a physical copy of that book, you can get it on Amazon and, you know, the usual places. But if you want a free PDF version of the book, 
you can come to my website. Again, it'll be in the show notes. And there is literally, you'll see it. If you want a free copy of Richard's book, you just put in your name and your email address and you get a free copy of the book. And I can't tell you how many people from all over the world who email me, not on a daily basis, but definitely on a weekly basis, about how my book has assisted them in getting a fantastic job. And I suppose my philosophy, I'm 55 years old now, I just want to be happy and helpful. If mm. I can be happy and helpful, the universe will look after me. So I didn't write a book to make money from selling a book and so on. Uh, if you'd like it and you think it would be useful, then please come and get one. Feel free to share it with whoever you want. I have a podcast. It's called the Arate Podcast. I'm over 200 episodes. I interview predominantly CEOs and business owners about their careers and their businesses. Why do I do that? Because if we're retained by a company to recruit for them, what I like to do is put the CEO or the owner on the podcast and talk to them about their background and why they started the business or you know what their goals are, the vision, the values, the culture, and so on. And then when we go out and headhunt, we say to the candidates, look, if you want to get a feel for who your future boss is going to be, have a listen to the podcast. The candidates yeah. absolutely love it, right? It's branding again. So you're doubling down on like, uh, let's read that vision. Let's put that out there. Let's message it. Let's put a person in a face yeah. uh, to the company in the post. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, for a lot of the people that I talk to, and probably a lot of the people who you talk to, you know, they, they are aspiring CEOs and business owners. Okay. Mm -hmm. They want to hear the stories of people who've walked the path before them, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, if they listen to the person who's now the CEO of IBM or the CEO of, you know, a big banking corporation or whatever, they might find it interesting, but it's a, it's for most people, it's unattainable. Mm -hmm. Okay. But to hear the stories of the person, the lady who is now the CEO of a company that turns over $20 million and employs 40 people. For most people, that's a, they could see, I could do that. And when yeah. you start to listen to these people's stories, again, there's, you see golden nuggets, but you know, there's, there's lots of interesting things that people may have done or choices they may have made and so on and so forth. So that's another reason for that podcast. I will be launching a new podcast shortly, which will be very much around how to attract and retain talent. Whereas, and that's a completely different thing. And that'll be launched essentially in conjunction with when my book is published, which should be around April, May. But yeah, so the only thing I say to people, please don't send me LinkedIn connection requests. LinkedIn has got a maximum capacity of 30,000 connections and I'm constantly at around 29,000. So if you send me a connection request and I don't accept it, then it's not because I'm rude or I don't think you're worthy. It's because simply I just don't have capacity. So reach out to me through my website. If there's anything I can do to help, happy to engage, see how we can support you. We have lots of materials available for both job seekers and employers. And again, I just want to be happy and helpful and be of value to the world. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. We will put the links in the show notes. And as soon as your book is out and your new podcast is live, we'll add those as well. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for being on the Manager Track podcast, Richard. It's an absolute pleasure, Ramona. I've had a thoroughly enjoyable time and I look forward to reconnecting in the future. Same here. Thank you.
If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident Incompetent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.